And we are starting the year off right. The series is called Renew 2021. I don't know about you, but early in the year, I need a jolt. I need a challenge. I need some direction. I need some focus. Uh, especially like last night when at 4 a.m. my puppy woke up with tummy problems. 4 a.m. puppy woke up with tummy problems. Uh, so I had a little extra coffee this morning, which means I'm a little excited to preach about the topic today. Uh, when it comes to starting the year off right, let's face it, if we do nothing, if we have no plan, if we're not intentional, things are going to go very poorly. If we have a plan, if we're intentional, if we set some goals and make some commitments, things are going to go much better. So we have handed out a tool. You should have one. If not, you can grab one on the way out. And it's a planning tool, Renew 2021. We're focusing on four areas, the mind, the body, the heart, and the soul. And this is where you can write down your reflections, your questions for God, your plans and your commitments. Uh, and then you can bring this with you, especially if you're coming Tuesday night to the men's and women's group. Share what you are committing to this year. We spent two weeks on the mind, so by now you should have uh, things written down about the mind, how you're going to um, read books this year, or your Bible reading plan, positive social media outlets that you're going to either turn on or negative ones you're going to turn off. You should have all that documented. Today we're moving on to the body. What does it mean to renew the body? And I'm just going to say, I think this week and next week could be some of the most powerful sermons uh, that, that we've heard on the topic because it's not often talked about. One of the most viewed sermons from our past was on self-control when in one point I talked about physical wellness and bodily wellness and people kept watching it because they wanted to know more about how they can get this thing under control. And let's face it, when it comes to the body, when it comes to physical wellness, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to the aches and the pains of life or the sudden trials and calamities, uh, the body is consuming. And often people assume that the body has nothing to do with the soul. Why would we talk about, you know, exercise in church? But they are so coupled together with your faith that we have to understand uh, what it means to be healthy with our bodies. It's hard to get well and to stay well in today's day. Why, you might ask me. Well, behold, I give you some of the top new fast foods that came out in 2020. Check it out. This is called the Papa John's Chacaroni Pizza. Pizza with extra pepperoni. It was new last year. Here's the next one. Uh, this was Taco Bell's Grilled Cheese Burrito. It's not just a burrito, it's a burrito with grilled cheese inside. Wow! Here's the next one. Uh, this is called KFC's Fried Chicken and Donut Sandwich. How on earth are we supposed to stay healthy with that on the menu calling to us? Right? But check it out. Uh, next, there were some healthy options that came out. There's the Chick-fil-A Kale Crunch Side. Mm. Here's the next one. And they came out with the Culver's Harvest Veggie Burger. So you could probably get a veggie burger one day and then the you know, grilled cheese burrito the next, and they kind of equal out. Am I right? But it's because of stuff like this that it's so hard to stay committed to a healthy way of life. 
Today's sermon is going to be a topical sermon. That means there's not a book called the book of exercise, right? But there's verses all over the Bible with principles that tie into physical wellness. So I will project those verses on the screen. Let's pray, and then we'll learn how to renew our bodies in 2021. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, how to be well physically. Uh, Help us to understand how to sustain victory in this area. Show us, O Lord, where our unhealthy patterns and mindsets come from. Show us, O Lord, how we can get to a healthy place and how we can stay in a healthy place. And we pray that you would show us how this can actually enhance and strengthen and reveal our relationship with you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. The first thing you can write down is this. Where does victory start in any area of life? Jot this down. Surrender your body to Christ. Surrender your body to Christ. As a biblical principle, any area of our lives that remains unsurrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ will be an area of ongoing defeat, folly, and hardship. Most people have never surrendered their bodies to Christ. They have never said, this is yours, I want you to be Lord, and and therefore it's just an effort in self-reliance. We have to start with surrender. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What does that mean? A sacrifice in the Old Testament was brought to the temple, laid before God, and then it was killed right? The temple was part restaurant, so it went on to become dinner. But the the point is, the sacrifice didn't make it through the offering. So to say, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it means you're bringing yourself, your body to him, dedicating yourself to being consecrated in purity, but you're alive, which means you're offering it to him daily. This is yours. This is still yours, and I'm striving to be holy and blameless. It says, which is your spiritual worship? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The idea of bringing our bodies to God, surrendering them, sacrificing them to him is is a biblical concept. The Bible goes on to say elsewhere, do not offer the members, the parts of your body to sin, right? but to God. And so it starts with the full consecration of the totality of this bag of bones that we walk around in. God, this is yours, not mine. Not the world's. This belongs to you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you gave your heart to Jesus 25 years ago. When did you give him your body, right? Surrender it to him. Now, if you do surrender it, you will find that that is the beginning of what the Bible calls self-control. David Mathis said this, the key to self-control is not inward, but upward. Christian self-control is not about bringing our bodily passions under our control, but under the control of Christ. Hey, listen, this is profound. You want this to be more under control? Don't put it under your control, okay? Bad management. Put it under Christ's control. This is yours. Have you done that? 
Now, once you do bring it under Christ's control, once you do consecrate, dedicate, sacrifice your body to him, then there are some principles found in Scripture that tie into overall physical wellness. Jot, jot this down. Stop trying to impress others. In any area of life, if you're trying to impress other people, it's going to be an area of pride, of vanity, of insecurity. And often when it comes to this area of nutrition and physical wellness and bodily strength and health, we're doing it to show off. We're doing it to show others up. It's about us, and the body itself can become an idol. So if we surrender it to Christ, we can't then use it to say, how great I art. That's not the point. You can't serve two masters. You can't say, God, it's all yours, but world, watch out, right? Stop trying to impress others. If whatever you're doing with your body fuels conceit and selfish ambition, it will work against the surrender to Christ, and it will end up making you obnoxious and idolatrous. So stop trying to impress others as a first principle, and this scripturally is found everywhere. Philippians 2.3 says this, do, what does it say there? How many things? Okay, so hold up zero. Do this many things, come on, hold it up. Interactive sermon. Do this many things, from selfish ambition and conceit. That includes bodily wellness. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Your body will humble you. <laughs> again and again. And it is meant to be a, a source generating humility in you, not generating pride and conceit and showboating. So whatever we do, we have to stop trying to impress others. And if we're going to get physically well, if we're going to prioritize this, we can't plug into the power source of pride and vanity. Honestly, men struggle with this a lot when it comes to the body. And I do lament that in this day and age, there is so much pressure on men, young men, boys, uh, primarily to be athletic, to be strong in an athletic sense. And the standards that we are given when it comes to the body are now literally otherworldly. Men and boys and teenagers are given otherworldly standards of strength and fitness that they can never measure up to. And therefore, if we're not careful, men, we can live our lives with a crippling sense of insufficiency or, or weakness by the world's measure or just a failure to ever get to that place. And boy, if you want to be defeated very fast in this area and deflated, then look in the mirror and then go on Instagram. Okay? We are given such unhealthy standards, men, of strength and of fitness. Uh, I saw an article several months ago and I saved it because I knew I was going to be preaching on this at some point. And the title of the article says this, 16 actors describe what it takes to get fit for shirtless scenes. The movie can capture the hyper-jacked, mega-chiseled look that studios now demand, but it comes at a price. Here's a picture of Hugh Jackman who plays Wolverine. Wolverine. When he first snagged the muscular mutant role in 2000s, X-Men Hugh Jackman thought he could whip himself into shape in just a few weeks. Reality quickly set in, and they had to delay production because his body wasn't ready for the shot. So he went into intense training and finally got there so that they could film it. 
Every role after that, he would, exact, he would ask the director for the exact date he would have to show off his abs. Then he would go into a three-month workout program, which culminated, he shared on a, a talk show, he shared his three-month run-up, which culminated with 36 hours of dehydration prior to the moment he takes his shirt off. So his veins are bulging out. And he looked at the audience and said, don't do this at home. And described what it took. And he said he was ready for that those hours of filming, he said it worked for a few hours of filming. And if we're not careful, we see that a mutant with mutant metabolism. And we're like, well, I guess I got to get there. I like Chris Hemsworth, Thor. Here's a picture of Thor. Chris Hemsworth said that he usually put on about 20 pounds of muscle to play Thor for each movie. First movie, Second movie had a shirtless scene. He was happy when the third movie didn't have a shirtless scene. Then during filming, the director said, we're adding a shirtless scene. And he said, no, we've already done that. He didn't want it. So then he had to get into shirtless shape again. He was not happy. <clears throat> so when the ultimate Marvel movie came out, Endgame, which would go on to become the number one viewed movie of all time, or eyes are going to see him than ever before, he was happy when the script called for him to gain 90 pounds. Fat Thor. Here's a picture of Fat Thor. He, and it was a suit. It was, he, he spent three hours in makeup every morning to put on a 90-pound prosthetic fat suit. And halfway through the movie, he was supposed to get thin again, and he said, no, I'm staying fat. He insisted that he would rather go fat than put in the work to go shirtless. It's so unrealistic what we're looking at on the screen. And men, we compare ourselves to others to try and measure up. It's the same, if not worse, in the athletic realm. Here's a picture of Russell Wilson, sadly eliminated uh, from playoffs this year. But we have um, an article where he talked about how he spends over a million, listen, over a million dollars a year on his body. Listen, men, over a million dollars a year on his body. I don't know if he just didn't see the ads for Charter Fitness. They waive the registration fee. He could do it for a lot cheaper. Traveling chefs, traveling physical therapists, uh, oxygen chambers, specific diet. He works out 363 days a year. Christmas and, Christmas and New Year's are off. That's it. Or I think it's Christmas and Thanksgiving. Men, if we compare ourselves to this, we're foolish. These otherworldly standards that are out there are not healthy. Not healthy for us, not healthy for our sons. They're not realistic. They're not sustainable. So we have to get to the point where we're saying, that's not my plan, that's not my dream. Stop trying to impress others. Surrender your body to Christ. Not to Hollywood. Jot this down. Stop comparing yourself to others. So our bodies can become a source of selfish ambition, which turns into being obnoxious and idolatrous. But our bodies can also become a source of comparison. Stop comparing yourself to others. Our bodies can become a tremendous source of envy and insecurity. This is very unhealthy for the soul. Let's talk right now about what the Bible says to women. Proverbs 31, 17 talks about the infamous Proverbs 31 woman. And it says, she dresses herself 
with strength and makes her arms strong. So the Bible commends a strong woman, a woman who prioritizes discipline and strength. The Bible commends that. In the New Testament, uh, men and women alike are not applauded for their lack of initiative, for their, uh, for, and we'll get to that in the next point, but being strong, desiring to be strong, physically, mentally, body, mind, heart, and soul, is applauded in the scripture. But it also says, is, says in Proverbs 14, 30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, that's the body, but envy makes the bones rot. Listen, envy makes the bones rot. Wouldn't that actually make things a little easier with toxic social media if when we went to the doctor, they were like, your bones are rotting. What? And he's like, uh, what have you been watching on social media? Oh, it's uh, just this one influencer. She's really, stop it. Your bones are rotting. Wouldn't that make things easier? This is a picture of your soul rotting, which ultimately will lead to your body following. When it comes to women who want to find health and wellness in this area of their bodies, comparison is a trap. Comparison will steal your joy. If you're always trying to measure up to the worldly standards, uh, you'll never get there, and it will work against your desire to actually be a strong, healthy woman of God. Why? Well, because so much of it is just fake and photoshopped, right? It's not real. Here's a picture that women have released of their before and after pictures with makeup and Photoshop, and you have on the left of each of these pictures what they looked like, you know, that morning or on the way into the studio. And then on the right, you have after the makeup and the camera and the lighting has done its job before and after. And I just want, as a, I'm a girl dad, you know, two girls and uh, teenage girl, I just really want to commend to the women of our church that you should stop now trying to measure up to the world's standard of beauty. Stop now trying to measure up to the world's standard of beauty. Because first of all, it's fake. Okay, there's that phrase, on fleek, which is supposed to be really in. How about, how about uh, on fake? Okay, it's just fake. It's not real. So stop trying to measure up to it. There was a former cover girl speaking at a Christian conference we were at once, and she talked about self-image. And she said, do you know what a woman thinks when she sees herself on the cover of a magazine? She thinks, I wish I looked like that. She said, they don't look like that. It's not real. It's not real. Plastic surgeons have commented that women used to bring in pictures of other women, famous women, and say, make my lips look like this. Now they're bringing in pictures of themselves that came off of an app and saying, make my eyes look like this. And the plastic surgeon saying, if I do that to your eyes, they will fall out of your sockets. <laughs> listen, listen, women are bringing in impossible standards of themselves. What is the world doing to us? This is so toxic and unhealthy. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I read an interesting article uh, called <clears throat> How the, quote, perfect female body has changed in 100 years. The article starts with commentary. Through the 20th and 21st centuries, the mainstream idea of the perfect body shape for women has shifted, almost often as fashion trends. In some cases, the contrast between decades are shocking. He goes on, the article goes on to say, in the 1920s, it was the flapper girl 
slender features suited to dancing. Then in the 1930s, curves came back in, and Gene Harlow was the biggest movie star in the world. Then in the 40s, it was strong, feminine, independent women like Katherine Hepburn who were welcoming the heroes home from war. And then in the 50s, thanks to Marilyn Monroe, curves were back again, and women began to buy weight gain tablets off the shelves. Weight gain tablets. Then in the 1960s, as a reaction, the petite supermodel came in like Twiggy, 5'6", 110 pounds. That's who you had to be now. It just changes so quickly. In the 70s, dancing was back, so the era of the lean dancing queen like Farrah Fawcett. Then in the 80s, the tall athletic supermodel. Then in the 90s, the reaction, the pendulum swung again because of grunge, right? And so you had to be a thin, fragile, sad-looking woman to get on the runway then. Then in the 2000s, it was the spray tan beach body, and then in the 2010s, the curbs were back again. Good luck trying to keep up. Good luck. In other words, the worldly standards of beauty are always shifting, and you will never get there. So it's time to stop. Maybe, women, you've never stopped. Maybe you've never said, uh, I'm done trying to measure up to the world's standards of beauty. They no longer tell me what's beautiful. They no longer tell me what's healthy. I'm done listening to them. Stop comparing yourself to others. Focus on being healthy and well and strong. And jot this down, advance by his strength for his glory. When you bring this area or any of any area under Christ's control, you can access his power. You can access his power. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Hey, that's empowering. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, right? Enough power, listen, enough power to create a whole universe is living inside of you. Do you think God can't get your body under control when you surrender to him? But he's not going to do it to get you more Instagram followers. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Lord, this is for your glory by your strength. Number two, be self-controlled, not slothful and indulgent. So you come out of point one and, you know, you might feel like, you're right, I'm done with all of this. And then you just get the sweatpants out and you just, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to try and be beautiful or strong. for that. No, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is we do want to be healthy, but it will require self-control. And the Bible commends self-control and condemns slothful, self-indulgent living. So if our appetites are out of control, if we have no restraint, no plan for food and fitness, that's not good. Now, I've got great news for you. The American Health Association recommends we eat 29 pounds of sugar this year. If we're healthy, we can still eat 29 pounds of sugar this year. Let's get at it, right? And according to my calculations, you and I, we're still about 730,000 calories under our yearly diet allowance, even if we're being healthy. We've, we can eat anything we want. 730,000 calories, wow. And if you fall behind, little tip, one Krispy Kreme donut gives you your entire fat content for the day. Just one. So if you fall behind on a day, you can go ahead and eat one of those. When you think about it, when you think about it, even when we're healthy, there's going to be plenty of pleasure found from food. There's going to be plenty of opportunity that we could get from our diet. But we have to have restraint, right? 
or the 29 pounds of sugar we eat this year is going to become 100 pounds of sugar. In Titus 2, 11 to 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and listen, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Do you see how there's a correlation between God's grace and God's power? And God's grace empowers us to live lives of self-control in every area, mind, body, heart, and soul. And if we rely on that power God has for us through his grace, Lord, I can't do this alone, then he will teach us self-control. We'll be trained in it. When you get to heaven, what do you want to hear? What, what do you want to hear in heaven? Well done. Come on, well done. But do you know what is said to the servant who doesn't get that greeting? Did you read on? Or were you like, that's going to be me? It says the danger, if we don't, if we're not told, well done, good and faithful servant, Matthew 25, 26, here's what we will be told. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Uh-oh. So if I want to be well done, good and faithful, I can't be wicked and slothful. And slothfulness spreads, not just to the body, but to the mind, to the heart, lazy, to the soul. The context of that verse directly applies to those who fail to serve Christ and build his kingdom. But it extends to the virtues found throughout Scripture, that being wicked and slothful is not commendable. Basically, we have to, when it comes to self-control, evaluate any area of our life where we are exerting no restraint is going to lead to problems. Are you exerting no restraint right now with food or with fitness? No restraint. Are you at least exerting some restraint? You're in the battle. You're in the fight. Or have you gotten to the point where you are exerting tremendous restraint? Discovering where you're starting is so huge. You know what? I've been fighting a decade-long battle with this, and I've really not put much into it. Or I'm on and I'm off. I'm good and I'm bad. Or, man, I've got there, stayed there for a while. Where are you at? Jot this down. We have to set realistic goals. If we're going to be self-controlled, being intentional is part of that. Being realistic is part of that, too. Not idealistic, right? It's not time to catch up on a decade of neglect by training for an Ironman, all right? I'm finally going to do it. Uh, jog a mile, you know, like let's take it one step at a time here. Sometimes people are over-idealistic. Over Set realistic goals. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4-5 to says that each one of you should know how to control his own body. Sometimes we don't even know that. We, haven't, we can't control it. Food, fitness, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. By extension, when we let our appetites get out of control, physically, it will lead to spiritual appetites getting out of control as well. That's the pattern. So we have to set realistic goals. There are many realistic goals we can set. Um, and when it comes to setting goals, we've given you this chart where you can write some stuff out. And so uh, I, I've written out a few, a few goals. What does a body goal sound like? Well, I, I like to run. You guys know that. So last year I was able to run a full marathon, which was really awesome. My third one 
Um, and so this year, I'm not going to do that. It's hard to, to do the long runs and also to set other goals. So this year, I'm going to do a couple half marathons. Um, and then I've got a goal here of some um, eating challenges. Right? I, I don't know about you, but I set a new high score on the scale in the winter. New high score on the scale. I'm not going to do a show of hands, but I think some of you may have joined me in setting a new high score on the scale. So I've got a little, you know, pounds that I, that I want to trim down. And then, uh, so I've got some eating goals. And, and then for exercise, um, Lauren and I use, there's a, there's a subscription. You used to have to order a DVD series if you want to do a workout video. Now they've got like a subscription where if you have a smart TV, you just go on and there's a channel called Beachbody Channel. And uh, so, so all these options come up, you know, there's like, cowboy dancing and hip-hop stuff and all these options. And so for, for us, that's worked really well. You just turn on the TV and all these options are right there. So I set a goal of going through two of those, one in the spring, one in the fall. Um, and then uh, I set a few streak goals, like maybe seven-day streak of working out every day and then a 30-day streak of working out every day. That's it, you know. Um, there are a lot of people who are so far up the road on this than me. I mean, it's unbelievable, the goals that they set. Comparison is always a trap. I'm happy with my goals, right? I don't need to be Russell Wilson. So when you look at your goals, maybe you just need to be like, all right, I'm going to be me, and I'm not going to worry about anybody else's goals, but do you have them? Have you written them down? Have you actually been intentional? How will you develop a healthy, strong, active lifestyle this year? What commitments will you make? <clears throat> so setting realistic goals is huge. And then jot this down, establishing routines and restraints. Uh, no routines, no restraints, no progress. That's just it. If, if we wake up in the morning without a plan, nothing's going to happen. If we're just figuring it out as we go, especially like with, we've got three kids, all teenagers, they're all home. Ellie's home from college, kids are home from school, and we've got two dogs, very active, hyper dogs. If we don't have a schedule, it's not going to happen. So one of the things that's helped us is we, in the morning, have said, you know, one, one of us will walk the dog, we've got a schedule. One of us will walk the dog, the other will work out, because our puppy attacks us when we exercise. Once we start exercising, he thinks that, I don't know what he thinks is happening, but he must stop it. So we got to get the dogs out of the house. So we've got this alternating, you know, she works out one day, I walk the dogs, I do the next day. So that works for us right now. But we have to have a routine and a restraint. <clears throat> there are many tracking tools for exercise, for diet tracking, counting calories, great apps out there, tracking time management. I like what Annie Dillard says, this quote has really stuck with me. She said this, a schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It's really good. Do you have a schedule? 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as a sojourner in exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Passions of the flesh, the body, the bodily side of us that craves sinful indulgence. It is a battle, Right? And you might be tempted to be like, that's just not me. I just, you know, I tried. Hey, it's a war. And the war goes through the body to the soul, which means if we lose this battle indefinitely, the effects will reach our soul. We'll cover this more next week. But there is a connectedness between losing the battles of the body, losing the battles of the soul, and Satan targets the body first. It's not because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's because he knows if he could establish some beachheads with bodily appetites and bodily negligence, then he can get to spiritual things, right? So we have to fight the battle there every day. 
Proverbs 23, 21 says this, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Substance, food, the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Proverbs 25, 16 uh, commends putting limits on pleasure, particular food. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. You could just as easily insert for the word honey anything, donuts, right? If you have found donuts, eat only enough. This idea of a restrained appetite with substances and with food is very biblical and commendable. Establish routines and restraints. No routines, no restraints, no progress. And number three, probably most importantly, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. When it comes to growth in any area of life, the Bible always directs us to community. If usually your plan is to tell no one how you're feeling, invite no one into the planning, listen to nobody's advice, and share your commitments with no one, you're going to fail alone. You're going to fail alone. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the picture here of the older I get, the more mature I get, the more committed I get, the more I'm around other Christians. And the person who the longer they've been in the church and the faith, the less they want to be around Christians, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And in this area as well of physical wellness, we need each other. We can't do it alone. Ecclesiastes 9, or 4, 9 to 10, you've heard this at weddings, but it's actually first uh, talking about friendship. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe, when you try alone, fall alone, fail alone, nobody's there to pick you up. It's just not biblically commendable to go it alone, to do it on your own. Well, if I tell people and then I don't hit my goal, then I'm going to be embarrassed. Well, if you don't tell people, you're not going to hit your goal, right? So we've got to get in community. Don't go it alone. Jot this down. More community equals more maturity. This is a tried and true biblical principle. The more your effort, your striving is in community, the more maturity you will find. Community also involves not just being around other people, but listening to other people, meaning you were willing to read a book about whatever diet you're looking into. You're willing to humbly hear what other people have to share with you, right? We're not know-it-alls. Healthy eating, healthy cooking, healthy living, how to work out, proper form, getting a trainer, all of these is like more people. More people helping me equals more maturity with physical wellness. Me going it alone again? Not going to work. And then jot this down, more accountability equals more victory. You know, I'm, I'm going to come and bring this, and I'm actually going to share with, with other women what my goals are. They, they might think that those are the easiest things in the world. I don't care. I'm done trying to impress other people. These are ambitious goals for me, and I'm actually going to share other people with other people what my goals are. Right? And uh, same thing with, with men. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to admit my starting point. I'm not going to really compare to other people. I'm going to say, hey, will you hold me accountable to this? Will you check in on me and see how I'm doing? More accountability equals more victory. More community equals more maturity. Hey, when you put all this together, we can get off to a good start. Surrender your body to Christ. 
Stop trying to impress others. Stop comparing yourself to others. Advance by his strength for his glory. Be self-controlled, not slothful, not self-indulgent. Set realistic goals. Establish routines and restraints. And don't go it alone. More community, more accountability, more maturity, more victory. Let's invite the Lord to bring his strength to this area of our lives together. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and of earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And so we confess, Jesus, that so often we just don't invite you into this area unless we have a medical problem or a troubling visit with a physician. Then we ask you. But I just pray, Lord, that you would humble us and help us to come before you with our feelings and thoughts about our overall level of physical wellness, believing that this is important to you and that all things are supposed to be from you and for you and through you and to you. Uh, we know, Father, that you knit us together in our mother's womb. You know head to toe the number of hairs on our head. And so, Lord, help us to humbly bring our bodies to you this week and make this, make this, pursuit, an area of our lives that strengthens and deepens our relationship with you. Make this an area of our lives where your power is on display to others around us, in our mindset, in our habits, and in our restraints. May people know this is from you and for you. Lord, help us to repent of using our body to simply fuel vanity and idolatry and insecurity Whatever the world is trying to preach to us, help us to just turn that off. And finally, Lord, maybe for the first time, help us to have a heavenly-minded view of our earthly bodies. We know this body will one day fade away. And we know, Lord, when this tent is destroyed, you will give us perfect bodies in heaven. For now, manifest your heavenly presence in us through this area. We just submit it to you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.